Welcome to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax, joined by my co-host, Mr. Parker Fleming. Excited to have you guys back here on the Grizzly Bear Blues Live podcast network. Again, things are a little bit different uh, with it being out of season. You'll have a starting five and a core four, or excuse me, you have a starting five and a Grizzly Bear Blues Live one week, and then you'll have a core four and a three and D the next. We're alternating, uh, giving each other a little bit of a breather as we make it through what could be one of the longest off seasons in history, which is kind of a problem if you are a blogger and a podcaster, but I guess <laughs> we'll figure it out as we go. Uh, Parker, we, we've talked a little bit this week about some ideas for various hashtag content uh, ways to roll. Um, I, I'm a little bit nervous, but I think we're going to make do, Parker. I hope so. I mean, a lot of the stuff I've thrown out, is just kind of like both you and Brandon would be like, eh. But it's also like, well, we need content. But I mean, you need I'm content. It. It's a challenge. I'm sure we'll come up with all sorts of things. And SB Nation bloggers are nothing if not resourceful for a variety of reasons. So uh, we'll talk more about that as we go through the offseason here. But I'm excited to have Parker back with me on the show. Ways to get in touch with the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. I am Joe Mullinax, of course, the site manager of SB Nation's grizzlybearblues.com. You can follow our associate editor and my co-host, Parker Fleming at Paca underscore Flocka. You can follow the podcast itself at GBB Live, and you can follow our site, Grizzly Bear Blues at SBN Grizzlies. Our guest tonight is somebody that I've uh, enjoyed getting to know a little bit via NBA Twitter. He does a great job over at Indy Cornrows. He's a podcast guy for them. He also writes for the uh, for a blog that I have a lot of respect for there at Indy Cornrows. Um, Caitlin Cooper is one of the very best writers in all of writing and about basketball period, regardless of whether you're a blogger or a, uh, whatever writing style you may have. Uh, I've always been a big fan of Caitlin's. Uh, I know Tom Lewis over there and Mark is the latest addition to a talented group at Indy Corn Rose. He also writes for premiumhoops.org um, or works over at premiumhoops.org, excuse me. Uh, pretty impressive resume at such a young and early age. Uh, you're kind of the Parker Fleming of Indy Corn Rose, Mr. Mark Schindler. How are you, sir? I am good. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me on. And it's actually funny. I was doing a, uh, I was doing a pod earlier with Caitlin today and she's taught me a ton, like uh, probably one of the smartest people I know. And it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to think about, like, she's probably just about the most respected Pacers voice in the country. And I don't think that's a stretch to say. Absolutely um, not. So it's kind of a little bit daunting to work with her. Sometimes I always, uh, I start writing something, then I see that she has something coming out like a day after what I'm writing. I'm like, oh crap! <laughs> I gotta, <laughs> I really gotta pull pull my my strings with this one. But uh, no, no, it's uh, I'm definitely happy to be be part of the group. Well, it's exciting yeah. to work with people like that, you know. Like oh, in, yeah. in GB, GBB, we obviously I think Caitlin's better than me, but but I do look GBB look at it like a think tank kind of situation where you know Parker might write something that I really like. You know, Nate Chester is one of our most talented writers, but I disagree with almost everything he says. But it, but it makes me think in a different way. You know what I mean? And Caitlin is one of those writers. And Parker, I know you you were probably going to say something along these lines, too. Uh, Caitlin is one of those writers that you see that she comes out with something. And even if it's something as random as like a Miles Turner pick and pop article, you know, or something like that, that, you know, would be very niche community I read it because I know that I'm going to learn something and it's going to make me a better writer for reading it. And Parker, I know, you know, whether it's Caitlin or anybody else, we all have people that are like that. Oh yeah, for sure. And um, I really hope that the uh, comparison you gave Mark is a, is a compliment. <laughs> <comparing to me. laughs> um, 
I mean but, it as yeah, a compliment. No. I obviously think highly of you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be on this podcast. Thank you. Well, and I do I share the same sentiment as, you know, like sometimes like I drop something I think is really good. Like the other day I had something about the Grizzlies centers and how they can tr- pivot in either direction of where the center position is going. And then Joe drops something. I'm like, ah, dang it. Right, well, <laughs> it's a wash. He's got this oh, one. Sorry, Parker. Well, no, I mean, I, I, I'm fortunate to have a talented uh, group. You know, we've had lots of talented folks come through GBB and Indy Corn Rose is a good example of that. Uh, th- fortunately, SB Nation NBA hasn't started pilfering any of the talent yet. But that is one of the topics that we're going to talk about is, you know, being a small market and and how much of a pain that can be, whether it's Indiana, obviously uh, the smallest of markets with Memphis and the Grizzlies. Uh, You had a podcast recently that you invited me to come on. I was unfortunately unavailable. I was at a T-ball game for a five-year-old, which is the reason I was not able (laughs) to attend. Um, But you did a great job with that podcast. You had Keith Paris representing kind of the Memphis perspective. You had Dave DeFore. You know, you had a lot of good folks. And and it was kind of a lamenting of the small market, uh, small market life, so to speak. It was a really well done show. Uh, Why don't you tell our listeners uh, kind of what you guys talked about on that podcast? Yeah. um, So I'll be honest, I normally am like extremely serious with with all the work that I do. And I just wanted to take some time to sit back and and have some fun because, you know, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. So, uh, you know, obviously LeBron was around, uh, but I didn't get into basketball until after. But I so I started up, you know, growing up as a Cleveland Indians fan. And I just remember every single good player who came through the the Cleveland system ended up a Yankee or a Red Sox. And <laughs> that's 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 just the story for small markets. That's how it works um, a lot of the times. And so, you know, we just talked about like I. I've seen articles like we were talking about this before we got on, um, you know, John Morant has already been floated in the, the ever classic clutch point graphics or articles that have him in a Lakers Jersey. They already have you know, Photoshop. Already, These fans already even, have Photoshop. The dude exactly, hasn't even like we, been on the team for two years. Exactly. We can't even talk about Giannis without somebody saying, Oh, he's going somewhere in, in free agency. I mean, it's, I, I think I try not to be a small market apologist. I will just look at it more in terms of, each team has something cool going on that you can look at. And maybe, you know, uh, I mean, Memphis was an awesome, awesome view of that. I think if there had been more national hype around Memphis at the beginning of the year, obviously you guys didn't start super well, if I remember correctly, but then picked it up later on. Um, but, I mean, if, if if people looked at Ja the way that they looked at Zion, I mean, then we talk about Memphis completely differently this year. And I think that's just the kind of stuff I look at. Like, I, I want to provide cool stories that are going on everywhere. Cause so I think there's a lot like, I mean, DeAnthony Melton's story this year, huge. I mean, if he's playing for the Lakers, he gets as many tweets as Alex Caruso. So, I mean, that's just something yeah. I look at. God, that's a great example. And I know Alex Caruso is good. I know he is. Yeah, I've exactly. That's not the Lakers like Caruso. He's I, a good right, player. Right. But he, they, he gets elevated because of the market he's in. Like that's 100% accurate. If Alex Caruso was doing the exact same thing as a member of the Memphis Grizzlies, no one would know who he is. Exactly. No one would know who Alex Caruso is because the DeAnthony Melton comparison is a great one. And Parker, I'll bring you in on that. Like the, the idea that this, here's this guy who again is a good basketball player. Like I said, I'm not besmirching Alex Caruso, but he, I don't remember off the top of my head. Wasn't he like at one point of a leading vote getter for the all-star game? Oh yeah, no, he was. Yeah, I actually, um, for a long bit, I muted the words Alex Caruso. (laughs) Oh my gosh! Because it was absolutely ridiculous. I remember searching on YouTube one time, 
Bleacher Report ran a 15-minute highlight tape on Alex Caruso and with three, three separate videos. The Memphis Grizzlies young core got fit like less like 11 minutes. Oh my god! And then the New Orleans Pelicans young core, Zion included, less than 15 minutes. And then Luka like Luka Doncic, 15 minutes. So Alex Caruso was getting hype videos longer than Luka Doncic, who is honestly like a top seven player in the league. It's ridiculous. I mean, and it, it is important. Market. It, it, and that's exactly right. It is important to understand. I'm not sitting here talking to these, you know, two. Uh, intelligent young men and expecting them to buy into the idea that we're, we're in a place where these, these markets should be treated comparably. I've been doing this long enough. I've been getting the stats, you know, Seth Pollock, you know, has put some trust in me and and given me some data about the various blog sites and, you know, overall comparisons to other blogs and and GBB Andy cornrows is another example. We outpunch our weight class. He tells me that all the time in terms of our budget, in terms of our market, we do better than we're supposed to do. But then you have, you know, silver screen and roll and Harrison Fagan does an amazing job with oh, that. Blog. Harrison. Oh yeah. Yeah. Amazing. He's, he's fantastic. No, you're exactly right. Uh, but that's a full-time position. You know what I mean? Again, it ta- it's about market. There is such a demand for that particular market, the Lakers, that SB nation can have a team manager who does the exact same job as me, the exact same thing. And they can invest insurance. They can invest benefits. They can do all of those things, and Harrison deserves it. I'm not. I'm not saying that I deserve it more than Harrison because I don't. He works his tail off and does a great job with that blog. I'm talking about the market. You know, our blog does not have anywhere near that budget, and and it's understandable because of how much larger that Lakers market and demand is. You know, there's times where Celtics blog on the other end, bringing it back to the you know the Eastern Conference Finals. There's times where that blog is so popular and has so many uh, views, they'll do in one article what our site does in one week. And it's just remarkable in terms of how much of a difference the size of the market does make. And and that doesn't mean that poor work is being done. I think that we're one of the best all-around blogs in SB Nation. I'm biased, but... But I, I believe that. I think Indy Corn Rose is up there too. Like I said, with Caitlin Tom, I know you're a newbie, uh, but I've always enjoyed reading Indy Corn Rose and, and getting my Pacers content from them. Um, but there's, you know, not, how many people outside of NBA Twitter know Caitlin Cooper as a writer? Probably not very many at all. And, and that's kind of surprising to me and disappointing because they're missing out. And and that's one of the realities, Mark, of being a small market team and and in our particular cases, being a small market podcaster or blogger. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And it's, it's actually really funny. I went through uh, just because I, I wanted to get more connected with everybody. I went through all the, um, the mastheads and followed everybody who, who writes for the SB nation blogs. And um, I think if you add up Celtics blog and silver screen and roll, they have as many writers. Uh, if you combine, like, I think the, the lowest, like eight or nine. Cause so I think at Indy corners, they're only it's me, Caitlin, Tom, uh, this guy, Nathan, who does the post game reports. And I think that's it. So I think there's four of us. And I mean, it's, it's just totally different. Yeah. I, it, but I mean, you roll with the punches. I think it's cool too, because I mean, it, it, it gave me a lot of opportunities. Like, sure. I mean, the one thing that was really different catching up with though, uh, cause I mean, I was telling you too, I, I didn't 
actually get to cover a game for five months. So mm-hmm. uh, once I finally started getting to cover games, I would have a story halfway written, and then I'd like click out and see that that Caitlin's writing the exact same thing, or like she's <laughs> writing something, but of course, in a you know to a better level. So it's uh, learning all those like different little things and how to how to pull stuff from a game. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I always understand that it's where money's at, uh, and it's always going to be like that. But it's not going to stop me from from doing what I do best and, and covering the cool stuff. So, and that's you know, Parker. I've always told people because I lived in Memphis for three years. I left Memphis in 2014, and when I came back to Virginia, I still kept being a part of GBB. I actually didn't become site manager of GBB until 2015 or so. Uh, and folks would always ask me, "Well, why don't you just write for Bullets Forever? Why, why don't you just write for the Washington Wizards SB Nation blog?" And what I tell people is I'm passionate about the Grizzlies. You know what I mean? Like the, the connection I made to that team in my three years in Memphis, I was a season ticket holder for the Memphis Grizzlies, which I would never be able to do anywhere else. That's one of the positives of a small market team is the fact that I could have season tickets as a teacher. Um, that, that doesn't happen in a <laughs> lot of places. Um, like I certainly couldn't be one for the Wizards up here. And the Wizards are terrible. Like who you, you can't give away Wizards games. Uh, tickets, but I still would be able to afford a season tickets. So actually, um, funny thing on that, uh, not to interrupt, but I'm sure. Um, go ahead. So I went to I went to a Cavs game when it was Dion and Kyrie and Jared Jack. The the trifecta was fin- a terrible year. I think they finished like <laughs> they were like they, they barely crested 20 wins, if I remember correctly. I think it was Byron Scott's last year, and uh, I sat eight rows up for like thirty five dollars, and then <laughs> LeBron came back the next year. And that I, I looked up the same price of the ticket just to just to see, and it was almost a thousand dollars. Like it's remarkable, such a such a huge variance. It, it really is crazy. And you know, I'll, I'll use somebody like you, Mark, somebody young like Parker. You know, I tell Parker all the time, I, I'm set in what I am. You know, I'm a teacher and a football coach in my day job. You know, I'm I'm not going to be, you know, a member of an NBA front office. I'm not going to try to push to to be a Grizzlies writer beyond the blog. You know, I'm kind of at the peak of what I'm going to be in my life as a blogger, and I'm okay with that. I, but somebody like uh, a young person like Parker, and I'll bring you back in on that, Parker, um, do you see yourself, say, the Athletic DC? Because we were talking about the Athletic Memphis not really doing anything with the Grizzlies for months uh, a couple days ago on Twitter. Um, say the Athletic DC called Parker, and they wanted you to come and be a, a beat writer on the Wizards. I'm guessing you would take that seriously because you want to, you know, that that would be pretty cool to be a beat writer for the athletic for the Wizards. But at the same time, like to me, the small market allure, the connection that you develop as a fan of a small market team, especially as a small market blogger, if you try to take that same energy and apply it to a team that you're not as passionate about, that's going to make a pretty to me, it would make a difference. Would it make a difference for you? I mean, it, it would. And I mean, not to go on different tangents, but I mean, that's something I'd be like, oh, like that's really cool. It'd, it'd be something I'd flex about, but I'd be like, no, thank you. I'm, I'm very stable in my job that I do aside from the blog. But uh, like besides that, it's just I don't write about the Grizzlies because I want somebody to write about it and it's and they're fascinating. I, I grew up a season ticket holder. I've gone to games since I was seven years old. Right. Um, I like I love the Grizzlies and. Luckily, uh, and the and it's always been annoying too because you have f- friends growing up that bandwagon towards the big time teams, and then you have 
the national media heads like Stephen A. Smith's telling everybody that they need to move to Memphis Grizzlies or that Mark Saul needs to get traded to the Lakers or John Morant needs to just hold out and go for the New York Knicks. It, it, we're used to it. And I, I wouldn't want to write about any other team. No offense to the Indiana Pacers or anything. but <laughs> No worries. Facts. But, I mean, and that's a good point when it comes to John in particular. And, Mark, obviously you'd have a better understanding. You talked about Cleveland and, of course, uh, writing for Indy Cornrows now. You know, John Morant is now an athlete for body armor, that new drink that I haven't tried yet. Uh, it's I'm not a very guy. I can okay. probably do <laughs> Okay, well, that good. makes me feel better. I don't really feel like trying it. But um, I, I feel like I have to now that Jaw is one of their sponsored athletes. Uh but anyway, you know, whether it's that, you know, I know he has a Nike deal. I, I don't think he has his own shoe yet like Zion does. But again, that's Zion versus Ja. Um, you know, th- there's there's opportunities for guys in small markets. I mean, Indiana obviously had Reggie Miller back in the day, and and he had advertisements. I remember him doing some national things. It's not like being in a small market is doom and gloom when it comes to being, uh, being able to spread your brand. You know, there's plenty of guys that have, have shown evidence of being able to do that exactly where they are. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think um, a lot of it just comes down to me for how good your ownership is. Um, the I'm, I don't want to say I'm biased. I mean, I think the Pacers ownership is good, but it could be better. Um, they've, they've paid the luxury tax one time uh, that I can remember uh, since I've been alive. They paid the, the last time they paid the luxury tax, Jermaine O'Neal was an MVP candidate. So that's, you know, I was seven years old. It's been a while. <laughs> um, and I mean, I get it. You know, I was talking to Tom about this. There have been some teams that could have gotten it, but I, I mean, this team is classic for having injuries right at the wrong time. Um, but then you look at a team like Cleveland and I think that's one thing that, that gets discounted a lot. Dan Gilbert is a terrible owner. And I will always say that. I mean, um, the, the letter he sent LeBron after LeBron left, I mean, he was one of the least willing to pay guys in the NBA in terms of ownership. Right. I think that factors in a lot. Um, I mean, you can have guys, you can find the right guys who are willing to play uh, in a small market, but at the same time, I think a lot of it just comes down to, to the way that uh, I, I don't want to like pigeonhole media, but I mean the way that like figurehead media talks, because there are great national media outlets like the athletic is incredible. Um, I mean, obviously most of ESPN is incredible. Um, but I mean, you look at, like you mentioned, Stephen A. Smith, uh, people like bill simmons like they're the people who are always like pointing oh this guy needs to leave skip bayless yeah exactly i don't even count him he's not media he's just tmz on steroids so i like you know but that's where it comes from but um it's i I don't know i'm still learning the ropes with it i guess but just growing up in it i think sometimes it gets overplayed but at the same time i mean i can't blame somebody for wanting to go live in california instead of indiana or, or ohio you know I could, I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't want to live in Memphis. Memphis, I've been there a couple of times and I love it. It's a, it's a phenomenal city. I love Memphis too. And I do think that that's one of the things that I wrote about it in the teamwork uh, post, the sponsored post that we had run for SB Nation NBA today. Uh, one of the things that's best about John, and I know Parker will agree with this, is his upbringing in South Carolina. The fact he went from the side gyms of AAU tournaments to being the star in the NBA, the rookie of the year. Uh, I truly believe that John Morant could give a damn less, whether he's in Los Angeles, New York. You know, I think he embraces the realness of Memphis, the soul of the city. You know, it, it's a marriage. It's a perfect partnership. And that's what made the previous generation, you know, Mike Conley, Marcus Saul, 
Zach Randolph, Tony Allen. That's what made that so special and so real was they legitimately loved the city and the city legitimately loved them back. Parker, it feels like this is going to be, and I know we've talked about this before, but, you know, just kind of to finish up this segment, you know, Morant is a continuation. It doesn't feel like a true end and beginning. It's an end and beginning in terms of playing style because there's never been anybody like John Morant for the Grizzlies. But in terms of, and I wrote about it in the post, Memphis is not going to have to sacrifice, you know, substance in the name of having highlights on SportsCenter. You know, it's almost like they're going to be able to have their cake and eat it too. They're going to have somebody that loves the city, that's going to do right by the city, that's going to support, uh, you know, black businesses in the city like he's been doing on Twitter, that's going to be active in, at St. Jude and all these different charities. And at the same time, Memphis is also going to have something that they've never had before, a legitimate superstar caliber player that is going to garner national attention and be a highlight reel and a threat to go viral every time he takes the floor. Oh, yeah. And um, I agree. I mean, I've been in the locker room. I've been on these Zoom calls for these John Morant media availabilities. And you can kind of just see his upbringing through his answers because he just always has a chip on his shoulder. It honestly kind of reminds me of like attitude-wise, like a Jimmy Butler, where it's like – he has that dog in him and he has a chip on his shoulder, but he's not going to be an ass like Russell Westbrook. Right. Um, and you, like, if you listen to his acceptance press conference for the rookie of the year, he's continually talking about how he can get better and how this is just the beginning of what this team's trying to accomplish. And then also to him saying that he wants to find out that one guy that didn't vote <laughs> for him for the uh, rookie of the year. But it's just awesome because he really has embraced his city. He actually did some workouts during quarantine at one of the schools I went to in Memphis. Like I still like know their coach and all that. And he's working out in Memphis with like past Memphis legends, current Memphis Tigers, um, standout high school players such as Musa. I can't pronounce his last name, but he's going, he's a big center going to Memphis next year. And then right. point guard Kennedy Chandler. I mean, that, that's been just been awesome. And it's a big contrast to what we're used to. Because I remember, I know his NBA career fizzled out, but OJ Mayo was kind of seen in the same light as that future rising star, could go viral any moment. And he didn't embrace the city like Ja did, not, not even close. And so it's just very refreshing to have somebody, not only somebody that can be that superstar that leads you to the promised land that people say that small markets can't achieve, but someone who wants to stick with it and accomplish it in the city that he's drafted in. And he will tell all the MFers about all the doubt that they had all <laughs> along the way. And that's one of the, the best things about Jaw too. This is a good point for a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about a mock draft that I did and all the people that I made uh, angry while I did it. <laughs> I'll talk to uh, Mark Schindler about his role in that mock draft. We'll also get him to explain what in the world he means when he compares Dylan Brooks to Lance Stevenson. Uh, we'll get all to, to all that next. You're listening to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Got a, a little more than 10 minutes left in the show here. We're talking with Mark Schindler. He does an awesome job as the co-creator and co-host of Premium Hoops. Check that out at premiumhoops.org. He also is a contributor and a podcast host for Indy Cornrows, one of the very best small market uh, SB Nation blogs out there, very similar to GBB in that way. Give him a follow on Twitter at M Schindler NBA. Again, that's M S C H I N D L E R 
NBA. Uh, Mark, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure that you were in that uh, mock draft with me. Yeah, right? I was. Yeah, that's what I, I thought. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's one of the ways that we kind of interacted and and got to know each other a little bit better. And I I tr- treated that mock draft a little bit differently. Maybe it's because I'm so old and, and I've been in this too long. <laughs> Um, I decided to, you know, I, I, I told Parker this, I treat these mock drafts like thought exercises. These aren't necessarily things that I think the Grizzlies are going to do. If I was Jason Wexler in uh, Zach Kleiman, I probably would not do these things, but I was curious after a season that was more successful than anybody expected it to be. If we wanted to maximize the rookie contracts of Jaron and jaw and Brandon Clark, uh, without losing any draft capital, would I be able to do it? And I thought I was successful. You know, there's people over at GBB that said that I made the team worse, which I don't understand at all. Um, I, I traded Gorgie Dang, Kyle Anderson, and Grayson Allen, sorry, Parker, for Tobias Harris. Like, I, and we'll start with that trade, and we don't have to talk about everything I did because I do want you to talk about your thought process with, with what you did with the – uh, in the draft, but uh, the Tobias Harris thing to me really stuck out because I think sometimes we overthink stuff, uh, in terms of, you know, having the ability to take on bad contracts for picks, which Memphis has already done with the, with the Warriors pick. And I, I, here's a guy that the Philly is going to have to get off of either Harris or Horford this, this off season. I think that's a fair prediction. One of those two guys, if not both of them are going to be gone from the 76ers by the time next season starts. And I lit the best player in that trade or the best prospect because Kyle Anderson is probably the best player. The best prospect is Grayson Allen. And I got a second round pick back. So while in 2023, 2024, hypothetically speaking, there was going to be some financial issues that, you know, maybe you're paying the luxury tax with Tobias Harris, which isn't ideal. But for, for three years, you just upped the ceiling. Tobias Harris is the prototypical th- uh, third man on a team. And that's exactly what he would be with John Jaron. So uh, you, before we went on here, you said that you didn't understand uh, the, the the disdain that I got from some people for that deal. And I appreciate that. Uh, to me, I thought that the Tobias Harris addition, even though it's not realistic, I don't think it's going to happen. That raises the ceiling for Memphis in the here and now, and it doesn't crucify them in the long term. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I think part of the issue with looking at with the way people look at Tobias Harris, um, they just look at his contract and then oh, and he's horribly overpaid. Tobias, yeah, he is horribly, he's horribly overpaid. overpaid. But, but then that doesn't matter I mean, to Memphis right now. Exactly. Yeah. And Tobias Harris is a good player. I think that's that's just my point I'm trying to make. I think people get way too caught up with contracts. Um, while it's important to have a good cap structure, I think part of taking on a guy who has that guaranteed money already is part of Memphis building a cap structure. You look at the Warriors a little bit. I mean, they were lucky in they they were able to build such a good roster because of how they maneuvered their cap. I mean, uh, Steph Curry on the deal he was on was a because of his injuries that he had prior right. when he was younger. But he had I mean, glass ankles. Yeah, exactly. If you try and okay, say you draft somebody now, um, or you acquire somebody on a rookie scale deal who needs to be paid the same time as Jaron and Ja, that doesn't work. You can't pay all three guys max deals at the same time. Otherwise, you have to like totally scrap the roster. It's just nuts. By bringing in somebody like Tobias Harris, who already has that guaranteed money, um, a you bring in a slightly older guy who's already an established veteran who can who can contribute at a high level, um, and you can have him grow along those guys, and then you don't have to worry as much about how the cap is going to be 
in three years. Uh, or I mean, you're like less worried about having to pay so many guys at the same time. You want to have it tiered so that you're not paying everybody and they're all coming off the books at the same time. So I, I think it makes sense. And also he wouldn't have to play small forward. So that'd be huge. Him playing small forward is just right. a no go. Um, and I mean, I, I, the only thing I'd say though, is it just kind of depends on Jaron being able to play the five um, and uh, you know, bulk up a little bit more, but he's still like one of the youngest players in the NBA. And I, like you, you can ask uh, any of my friends, like I am so freaking high on triple J man. Like if he gets the fouling down, which I'm sure he will. Um, I, I think he, the sky is the limit for him, man. He's just insanely good. He's the prototypical modern NBA big man and watching him take dudes off the dribble in the bubble was awesome. Like he legitimately has some guard skills to him, which is pretty impressive. Uh, and Parker, part of the reason I was comfortable with that trade is all the research that you've done with Jaron at the five, which is counterintuitive because of his foul issues, because of his weakness as a rebounder. You, you would think that he wouldn't be very good as a center right now, but the numbers suggest that he actually thrives when he's at the five, especially when Brandon Clark is next to him. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was I did a, a deep dive on Jaron at the five because it was around Gorgie Dang being the backup five. I'm like, you have Jaron. You don't need a backup five because you have Jaron. And I took the minutes that Jaron played alongside anyone not named Jay Crowder or Solomon Hill, and the Grizzlies outscored their opponents by 13 points per 100 possessions. So, And I think that happens because they force turnovers. The weaknesses in rebounding is because they're forced turnovers because you have two bigs in Jaron Jackson and Brandon Clark that can switch. You have Dylan Brooks who can switch on to bigs. D'Anthony Melton, who just stays in passing lanes, and then obviously John Morant. And it works. And if you got someone like Tobias Harris, you would see it work even more with a legitimate 20-point score on like the, at the four alongside Jaron and Ja. Made all the sense in the world to me, but people liked being angry at me about it. Um, In that draft, I acquired three different picks. Uh, I took Robert Woodard the second in the at the end of the first round. And I liked him because of his size. He kind of replaced in that trade with the 76ers. I lost Kyle Anderson. I kind of saw Woodard as a as a Kyle Anderson light replacement there at the end of the first round. I took Mason Jones at number 40 of the overall because why the hell not? I mean, I, I just love watching that guy play offensive basketball. He might be worse than Trey, uh, Trey Young defensively, which is a bit <laughs> concerning. Uh, but, you know, the way that the Memphis roster is structured, he can work on that with the with the Memphis hustle in South Haven in the G League for a little while and make our hustle uh, editor Brandon Abraham very ha- very happy to cover uh, cover pretty explosive basketball. And then Nico Mannion fell into the forty second pick in that draft, which makes no freaking sense. And there's if that happens and Mannion is there at number forty for the Grizzlies in real life, they need to take him immediately. They need to sprint to the to the board and select him, even though. You know, a third point guard may not be the biggest need, and we'll talk about that here momentarily. Uh, uh, that Those are the guys that I took in the draft, and I was pretty happy with that. But in real life, in reality, Memphis has the 40th pick in this draft, and that leads us to the question of the day uh, that we post every time we do a podcast at GBB Live. We do a question of the day, and uh, thanks to the 125 folks that voted in the poll, the question was, outside of best player available, who should or what should, excuse me, Memphis prioritize finding most in the 2020 NBA draft if their only pick is at number 40 overall. The options were third point guard, scoring combo guard, a versatile two-way wing, and a fifth true big. And unsurprisingly, fifth true big was the bottom. Uh, only got 3.2% of the vote. I kind of expected that. 
and maybe I could have worded it better. I, I kind of meant more like a, a two-way forward than a two-way wing. Uh, but versatile two-way wing won in a, a landslide, which is kind of surprising to me because uh, you've got Kyle Anderson, assuming it, you know things kind of stay the course. You likely retain DeAnthony Melton or at least get some sort of asset back for him via sign and trade. This team has a lot of wings. They just don't have you know, a, a ton of elite ones or any elite ones, really. You have an above-average one in Dylan Brooks. Uh, you hope that Justice Winslow can be that too, but beyond that, you have a lot of guys that have a lot of holes in their game. Uh, so, Mark, as an outsider, what do you think, again, 40th overall, in theory could be a solid value pick in this draft because a lot of these folks that do this a lot more than me in terms of covering the draft, they say that there's a lot of value between 20 and, like, 45. You know, there's not a ton of gaps in terms of ability between those picks. Uh, what do you think Memphis needs to do uh, in order to it further improve their team, you know, again, from that outside looking in perspective? Yeah, um, I would say, I mean, right off the bat for me, you guys kind of have a gap at the three and kind of three, four a little bit. Um, having, uh, I, I think, you, like you mentioned, two-way wing, two-way forward, I think that would be huge. Having somebody who's six, seven, six, eight, uh, it's long and can can play defense and can shoot better than Kyle Anderson. That would help. Because um, I, I like <laughs> Kyle Anderson, but I think, um, I mean, when he had to start for portions of the year, I didn't love that. I don't really like Dylan Brooks at the three. I actually just don't really like Dylan Brooks that much at all. Oh, um, whoa, 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 whoa. This is a perfect segue. Halt, yeah. hit the brakes. You oh, compared no. Dylan Brooks to Lance Stevenson earlier I don't in like this Lance day. That's, oh, uh, my that's, goodness. Okay, so, all right, I'll, I'll put it this way. I think – I actually have a, an article I'm working on uh, for premium hoops. We cover all NBA. Um, I like Dylan Brooks, but I think he's got to be reined in a little bit. His, uh, his shot selection is just, um, it's painful to watch, man. And it hurts the Grizzlies at times. Uh, and that's how Lance Stevenson was. When I look at Dylan Brooks, he's a more three point shooting prolific version of Lance Stevenson to me. Um, and I think Lance also was probably a better playmaker. Um, but I mean, they're very similar. They're both I like they're guys that you you would root for um, on court. Lance is not a great guy off court, uh, so I don't really root for him too much. Um, but I mean, I just think that maybe the scoring numbers they put up sometimes can be a little bit misleading. And I think I mean, you can see uh, Dylan Brooks was his his shooting after the All Star break just nosedived off a cliff. Um, I remember there was like a um, that stretch right after the All Star break. Uh, where he shot, like, I think over 10 games, he shot, like, 30% from the field or something like that. Um, but – and I'm not trying to – I'm not trying to talk down on him. I think he's a quality starting guard, or he might – if he can't – if he cannot change up his shot selection, I think he, he's going to be more of a six man. But if he can change the way that he shoots um, and just kind of takes over sometimes, especially out of – I mean, as I talked to Keith about this, too, when we did our pod about Dylan Brooks and his uh, – um, he is playmaking for himself a little bit. Uh, I think there, if he just makes solid changes to his game, to his game, that makes a difference. But what he is right now and, and, and how he impacts the team, I'm not the biggest fan of his game. All right. So I don't think it's really much of a secret that I like Dylan Brooks, but I mean, <laughs> I, I kind of have a soft spot for these uh, irrational gunners. Like when you compare Dylan and Lance, like I quoted with the eyeballs emoji because I like both of those players. So I was like, okay, <laughs> like I want to hear this. your point I is. <laughs> I think it just gets to, like his shot selection is kind of tied to 
what he's being asked to do. And I kind of tie that into also is Jaron Jackson Jr. available? Because when he was Dylan had like a two month stretch where he averaged about like between 18 and 20 points a game. And that stretch of play also probably defined how the Grizzlies got where they are. I mean, they were they would probably be one of those delete eighteens if it wasn't for him. And his downward spiral started when Dylan like when um Jaron Jackson Jr. went down. And to an extent also when Jay Crowder got traded, because guess what happens when Jay Crowder gets traded and you replace him with Kyle Anderson? More shots open up. And so for, he also for turns Dylan, into like Steph Curry, apparently, too. But yeah, he, he's become, don't get me started on Jay Crowder. Have <laughs> I'm to do sure you like guys are real thrilled about that. Hour long podcast yeah. about stupid Jay Crowder, and <laughs> oh my god, I just can't stand. It, it, yeah. Oh, I, I can't even. We're we're on one tangent. That's a different tangent. Go mm-hmm. ahead. Carl. I do I do agree that he need, that Dylan does need to be reined in a little bit. I also just think it it's a byproduct of who he shares the floor with and the system that Jenkins is implementing. I mean. John Morant can't and won't shoot 30 times a game. I mean, even if, like we saw in the bubble, between 20 and 25 and still getting 8 to 10 assists a game, that's fantastic. That's probably peak jaw right there. But Kyle Anderson, DeAnthony Melton, uh, Anthony Tolliver, Brandon Clark, they're not high-volume shooters. And in Jenkins' system, you're not going to get Jonas Valanciunas having – 20 to 25 shot attempts per game, like how you would have a peak great and Zach Randolph. So that's just going to open up shots. And that's going to open up shots for Dylan Brooks. I'm more interested to see what happens with Dylan Brooks, his and his shot selection and his role when there's simply better offensive talents sharing the floor with him. Um, But I, I, I do agree with how he could be a frustrating player. I, I'm not blind to that. And I, I even got frustrated with him to a little bit in the bubble, but um, I'll just close with that. I, I was very much looking forward to something a lot more positive with that comparison. So <laughs> sorry, I got to stay there. I it's think that's something, something that's important to remember with Dylan Brooks. And one of the reasons I don't see the Grizzlies doing too much this off season is that trade for that. They sent dumb Jay Crowder uh, out along with Solomon Hill and dumb Ig- Andre Iguodala, dumber Andre Iguodala. Can't can't put him in the same reign. Um, they send those guys out. They bring Justice Winslow in, and obviously they turn Dion Waiters uh, into just a an eaten contract, and they turn James Johnson into Gorgie Dang. They sacrifice twenty twenty free agency, which isn't all that good anyway. Memphis, you know, can re-sign D'Anthony Melton within reason, and I'll probably get you out of here on what you think D'Anthony Melton's value is there, Mark. So just something to think about. Sure. Um, and, you know, Justice Winslow is that major acquisition, and we weren't expecting to really have him at full strength at, at any point this season. Uh, if the pandemic didn't happen, you know, Winslow was going to return. I think that game in Portland, they said, uh, was the plan for Winslow to make his debut. And obviously that didn't happen, but he was going to be on minutes limits. There was no way he was going to play, you know, full tilt. Then the suspension happens. They've reset. It looked like Winslow was actually going to be a big part of the bubble Grizzlies. And then he gets hurt in the bubble. And obviously Memphis doesn't have access to him uh, in Orlando at all in terms of the actual games. So uh, I think Justice Winslow is going to be helpful for him because of his ability to shoot the three well enough 
um, when he's on, obviously. And that's a question. Uh, Winslow has improved as a three-point shooter, but he's still not elite. He's definitely better than one uh, Kyle Anderson at shooting the three. I think that's fair to say. And what Justice is really going to help Dylan with is you made the the facilitation, the ball handling uh, talk about with Lance, and you said that Dylan doesn't really have that. Justice Winslow does. You know, when Justice Winslow isn't playing on the wing, you know, some of the best basketball he played in his career was as a point guard. So I think that I wouldn't be too surprised at number 40 overall in the draft if Memphis didn't take another point guard because they probably view Justice Winslow as that third point guard behind Tyus Jones. They probably see him as somebody that's able to do that. So when they lost Tyus and Justice, they essentially lost both of their backup point guards to jaw. Uh, that that was problematic for them in Orlando. But I think that it's going to be really interesting to see what Dylan Brooks is as a starter with Justice Winslow by his side. And if health allows for that to happen, Mark, I think that's where we'll have our best idea of whether or not Dylan Brooks, because you mentioned him being a sixth man. I agree. I think Dylan Brooks is a sixth man. Like if he was on the Clippers or if he was on the Bucks, you know, Dylan Brooks as a sixth man is probably a really good basketball player for those teams. Miami, you know, the, the way that Jay Crowder is, is thriving in Miami because of that system that Spolstra has put in the same kind of thing could happen for someone like Dylan Brooks in a reserve role. Uh, But at the same time, he's never been in his rookie campaign. That was the lost season that all hell broke loose and injuries happened. And, you know, he, he was there just to help kind of keep the ship going from night to night. Then he got hurt in his second year and he only played roughly half a season. So we haven't seen Dylan Brooks alongside another comparable uh, or talented or even maybe a little bit better than him wing. And we'll finally get that opportunity if Winslow is healthy. And I think we'll get a better look market, just exactly what Dylan Brooks is when that occurs. Definitely. And I, I, uh, I love the trade for Winslow personally. I know some people kind of raise their eyebrows at it. Um, I thought it was great. I mean, like, especially like you mentioned, I mean, there wasn't a lot that Memphis was going to be able to do in free agency this year. Um, getting a guy like justice who I think provides a lot, like we mentioned secondary ball handler, uh, which I, that's one thing I'll be interested to see how it works out. Cause I mean, Dylan likes having the ball in his hands. Um, Justice is much better with the ball in his hands than off. Um, but he provides a, a nice defensive wing. Um, I'm excited. And he's, he's still young too. I think he's only 24, 25, somewhere in there. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for that moving forward. So um, yeah, it'll be great. I know Parker knows this. He doesn't even have to look it up. How old is Dylan Brooks Parker? It's 24, right? <laughs> I just like messing with you, Parker. I, I actually um, – I, I sent this in our Slack today. So um, I went to this fundraising event that the Grizzlies held called Grizz Bash. It was just silent auction with food, live music, games, stuff like that. Um, it benefited the St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Like that, that's, that's important to me. My girlfriend's a patient there. And um, I – like – I decided to bid on some of the autograph game worn jerseys because I'm like, you know what? Like I can, it's for a good cause. Just and like Dylan then, Brooks, shoot your shot. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. And um, <laughs> the only players that had bids past the first initial bid were jaw Jaron and maybe Clark. So I just got my Dylan Brooks, Vancouver Grizzlies autograph Jersey in the mail today. So can you guys just I wear call- that Jersey every game? That jersey's I call sick. it the uh, I call it the flag for Dylan Brooks Island. That's what I call it. <laughs> no, those uniforms are pretty cool. I, mm-hmm. I do like those. They're pretty sharp. Um, 
I tell you what, I, I love the Dylan Brooks, Dylan Brooks slander. It just makes me happy. Not, not because I hate Dylan Brooks. Cause I think Dylan Brooks could be a, 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 he is a good basketball player. You know, Dylan Brooks is Dylan Brooks will be whatever you let him be. And, and I think that's one of the ways that Parker has described it in, in his various writings on him. I think it's on Taylor Jenkins. I think it's on, you know, Zach Kleiman. They're smarter than me. I'm sure they understand that Dylan Brooks needs to be reined in. But if and if you don't have talent, you know, Dylan's also going to be willing to take the shot that at times Ja Morant wasn't. You know, there were plenty of times in the bubble where Ja deferred to Dylan Brooks. Like, that's undeniable. You watch the games, you see it. Uh, and Dylan's going to be willing to be that guy. So until you have someone else who's willing to be that guy, or you convince Ja Morant that, you know, like Mark Gasol before him, sometimes the best play is you taking the damn shot not giving it to Dylan Brooks. Uh, same thing with Mark. You know, I know you like to make the beautiful basketball play, but the beautiful basketball play almost all the time is you shooting it from the elbow because you're good, Mark. You're the best player on the team. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. Uh, we're talking, speaking of Marks, we're talking with Mark Schindler here. Does a great job covering uh, Indy Hoops, uh, the Indiana Pacers over at Indy Cornrows. Also is the co-creator and co-host of Premium Hoops at premiumhoops.org. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at mschindlernba. We'll get you out of here on this, Mark. Uh, we talked a little bit about the Anthony Melton, and you're you're going to be my next source on this, so no pressure. I know I'm I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. I've talked to an Atlanta blogger, and I've talked to a Dallas. blogger. I know which Atlanta blogger you probably talked to. Was it uh, and they, Andrew Kelly? I believe so. Whoever yep. wrote the 2000 word article. About that was Anthony Andrew Kelly. Milton. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm good friends with him. So they I, I probably both, will have the same number. Oh, wow. Okay. So oh, that, that's no. kind of killing the lead a little bit. Um, we in Memphis, we like the Anthony Milton. We like him a lot. I think he, he fits really well next to jaw, especially as a reserve coming off the bench. I don't know that I like him for four years and $50 million. And that's what the uh, Peachtree hoops, Andrew Kelly, uh, said in his post that was followed up by a Dallas blogger. I don't remember his name off the top of my head. I wish I did. Uh, but he wrote a very good article talking about the impacts that Melton makes defensively. And he put his worth at about $10 million a year. That terrifies me because we have $11 million per year on average or $12 million per year on average already tied up in Dylan Brooks. Just ship if out some... Dylan Brooks. Is that easy? <laughs> <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> but at least Dylan I'm Brooks kidding. makes threes. Like the Anthony yeah. Melton can't shoot. It's possible he gets better at it. He's younger than Dylan Brooks by hey, a couple Tony of years. Hey, Tony Allen couldn't shoot. I mean, yeah, I but uh, no, I'm just kidding. He's not Tony Allen. But. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I think that you know it, it. What what holds me back, Mark? It'll be a two part question for you here in a moment. What holds me back is can the next great Grizzlies team afford to have twenty three million dollars per year on average tied up in Dylan Brooks and DeAnthony Melton? To me, the answer to that question is no. I don't see that being possible. Now, the good news is, like they did with DeLon Wright uh, last season, they could do a sign-and-trade to somebody. They could get some assets back from Melton if they think he's outside of their price range. But the, the two-part question is, one, what do you think the market should be and would be for Dylan Brooks, or excuse me, for DeAnthony Melton? Um, so what do you think he'll make in restricted free agency? And then number two, what do you think someone would be willing to give up in a sign and trade situation. Like let's say the Indiana Pacers had interest. I, I haven't read anything that suggests they do, but if they had interest and the only way that they were able to acquire him would be in a sign and trade kind of way, do the cap concerns. What would you be willing to give up 
as a Pacers front office member, the armchair GM, to acquire DeAnthony Melton? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I think in terms of value, I mean, I uh, Andrew is he, he's been in touch with agents, and uh, I believe I think he's been in touch with DeAnthony's agent. I can't remember, um, but I mean, I, I I believe the ten to twelve a year for uh for four years is probably pretty solid on him oh that makes um, me so sad i know i know but i mm. and i believe john hollinger uh said that on he did a, i think it was on his podcast with nate duncan i believe he said he's heard rumblings and agrees with 10 to 12 um i personally i mean what's the anthony 22 22 23 um he's either 21 about to turn 22 or he just turned 22 he was 21 okay, in the right. bubble yeah well i I think it's more of like I wouldn't want to be the team that has to pay that, but I understand why it's being paid that. I think he's a great basketball player. But, again, I mean, like you mentioned with the shots, since he can't really run point, uh, you can't really trust him a whole ton to run pick and rolls. Maybe he can against bench units, but against starters, I haven't seen it. Um, that's, that's a good question. I mean, he's probably worth a first-round pick because he's almost a starting-level player. He's like six-man, six fifth-man maybe. So I could see a first-round pick. I don't know what, like, for the Pacers he would make uh pretty minimal sense um but yeah i would say 10 to 12 um and especially it, it hurts too because the two the like i mean atlanta is a team who needs him and they're a team who can afford to overpay for him so i think that automatically just jettisons up the market on a, on a guy who's a restricted free agent i mean like think about like what happened with tyler johnson when uh when the Nets when Sean Marks was first GM and they just went out and they, they pitched every restricted free agent just to right. blow up the market. And it worked because Miami ended up paying Tyler Johnson, like $18 million a year. Oh my uh, gosh. What a terrible like, contract that was. Oh, dude, uh, we were so great for Tyler Keith, Johnson. Yeah. Me and Keith and Dave actually talked about that. And, and Andrew was on as well. And, uh, and Lazarus Jackson, we talked about that free agency period and where we were all sitting when we heard about the Chandler Parsons deal. <laughs> like, it's, oh, uh, geez. yeah, dude, I'll, I'll just, it's, but <laughs> I mean, to, to make, to, to make it a short story. Yeah. I, I would, I would say, I, I'm sorry to break your heart, Joe, but I think the Anthony Mellon's going to get that money. I mean, maybe Dallas even offers him that. I, I think that's doable. Um, but I think a sign and trade is reasonable. And I think the last thing I would say too, um, one thing that I've changed my mind on because I've, I've gotten the fortune to talk with some, some really good scouts and like former GMs. Um, you know, I think when you have talent and you're a young team, you can't afford to just let it go. So I think I'd be more willing to, to pay DeAnthony Mountain than, than let him go just with the idea of if it doesn't work, maybe his, his shot doesn't come along the way you expect it to, but he's still a solid player. You can find ways to move that contract. Um, I think it's better to, to have, guys who have potential and, and talent on the roster than to to let somebody else figure out that they have the talent and potential. But uh, that's just me. That makes sense. I, I got to say that last bit there certainly makes a heck of a lot of sense, but goodness gracious, 10 to $12 million a year for a guy that shoots less than 30% from three. Uh, that sounds crazy to me. Um, that's like paying Jay Crowder that much money. Cause that's exactly what Jay Crowder <laughs> shot as a Jay member Crowder of the Memphis Crowder is Grizzlies. locking himself into uh Probably above he, – he's going to – he was – like I saw somebody tweet um, before the, the bubble, Jay Crowder was at the non-taxpayer MLE, and now he's at – I mean, he was at the taxpayer MLE, and now he's at the non-taxpayer MLE. And he very well may be playing himself into like a three for – a three for 30 or something it's like that. It's a trap. Like, 
I no, I agree, man. I've it's been a trap. Waiting Don't the, do it. The entire bubble, I have been waiting. Like that was the whole thing I preached. I I went into the, the Heat series saying that the Pacers were probably going to lose in six or seven. Um, and I, my whole thing was you can play off Jay Crowder. I don't buy that he's going to shoot well. And he shot 46% against the Pacers. So I just, I, I've seen it too many times in Utah, uh, in Cleveland, because I remember thinking that he was going to be such a huge gift for the, the Cavs when the Kyrie in trade Memphis. happened. I just, and there's nothing mechanically is different with his shot. Like what, there's nothing mechanically different. So I just, I don't buy it. I think it's going to stop. I hope, I hope for his sake that it keeps working, but I just, I don't see it, man. I don't think you know where happen. it makes sense for Jay Crowder to sign. It makes sense for him to sign with the Miami heat. That, <laughs> that man would be a fool yeah. if he, unless he just really wants more money, which I could understand obviously, but if he wants to keep shooting 40% from three, his ass needs to stay in Miami next to all those other shooters. He's wide open almost all the time. That's part of the reason why he does that. Uh, goodness gracious, that, that Jay Crowder is infuriating. Um, but Parker, what do, what do you think about his uh, valuation of De'Anthony Melton? I think, you know, it, it's fascinating. A lot of times we in Memphis, we overvalue people. And when I talk to somebody outside of the Memphis bubble, they kind of bring us back to earth. You know what I mean? Like that happened a lot during the grit and grind era when I would have people on uh, the podcast and re- talk to them just on Twitter. You know, we tend to overvalue people. Parker, DeAnthony Melton might be one of the first times that we might be undervaluing him because everybody we talk to says he's going to make 10 to $12 million. And I'm hard pressed to find a Memphis person that's excited to match that restricted free agency offer. No, I I'm, I'm even writing about this uh, for GBB and just, they need to be careful, even if it's just a mid-level exception of what they have. And even like an, a DeAnthony Melton offer sheet. One thing I actually did think about with the sign and trade was, um, if Oklahoma City moves off Chris Paul, they can sign DeAnthony Melton, have him as the starting shooting guard, and just have him guard the point guards while Shea Jill just guards wings. That that could work. But um, that's what Presty guy, athletic, and he can't shoot, so that's perfect. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was texting Joe about it in my pitch, where I don't know if I would offer DeAnthony Melton more than three and twenty-one, just because. I mean. He's a 6-2-2 guard who's best fit as a reserve, and he can't shoot. I don't know how much I want to pay guys that are like that because we can look at the advanced stats all we want, but there's also eye tests to it too, and paying DeAnthony Melton eight figs, it's, it'd be tough to do. And also, I think the play of Grayson Allen in the bubble with him becoming a more prolific three-point shooter, a steady playmaker, and – He's at least pes- he's a pesky defender. He's not a D'Anthony Melton defender, but he's going to be an annoying defender. A pesky um, defender? Do you remember the end of the Portland game? Where da- and in fairness, it was Damian Lillard, and yeah, Allen never should have been gotta, defending him. You got to double in on Damian Lillard when he's going to the rim. I mean, I sprinted right him. by him. <laughs> it's also hey, good. at least it didn't trip him, man. But it is Damian Lillard, in, in fairness. Hey, good point, Mark. He didn't trip him, so... <laughs> But uh, but I think to help make our point, and this is something that I've said, Mark, at the end of that game, and it was a defensive possession, and I'm pretty sure it was out of a timeout. I, I could be wrong. Maybe it wasn't out of a timeout. But at the end of that game, the five guys that were on the floor were Brandon Clark, Jonas Valanciunas, John Morant, Dylan Brooks, and Grayson Allen. DeAnthony Melton wasn't on the floor. Taylor Jenkins decided to close that game defensively. And again, it may not have been out of a timeout, so I'll stand corrected. If I'm wrong there, and I was wrong on De'Anthony Melton's age, he is 22. Uh, he was 22 in the bubble, so that's a mistake on my end. Um, but I, I do think that you know, 
I, I have a hard time paying him that much. And I think it's fair to say that a team like Atlanta, a team like Oklahoma City, who I hadn't thought about, but that's a good point, a team like Dallas, that type of player could make more sense on those rosters than Melton could make in Memphis because of the emergence of Grayson Allen, because of the uh, performance of Dylan Brooks, the hope that Justice Winslow can be a little bit more. And, and you're looking at 2021, you know, Parker has been a big drum beater for that off that, that uh, 2021 free agency class, not because of Giannis or Kawhi or somebody like that, but if the Heat go all in for Giannis, they're probably not going to be able to afford Duncan Robinson. You know, there's guys that are going to be available in restricted free agency that year that Memphis could throw 12 to $14 million at and, and be able to snag. Same thing with Toronto. Uh, OG Ananobi, I think is how you say his name. You know, Norman Powell. There's going to be guys that if Toronto brings in Giannis and can't afford to keep those other wings, you know, Memphis is going to be a restricted free agency player if they're able to keep their cap space for 2021. So um, I think that's part of the concern too, and not to kill the lead too much on your on your Melton piece that you're doing there, Parker. But I, I think that that's a very good and fair point that Melton could make more sense for the Atlanta Hawks in terms of how their roster is being made up than he would make for, say, Memphis moving forward. But who knows? I'm just a guy talking to a microphone. Been doing this for six years now with the microphone in particular, six and a half years. Good Lord. Uh, I look at myself on this camera. We're, t- we're doing a, the video camera Zoom or Uber conference podcast. And God, my hair is terrible. You guys have four heads of hair. <laughs> I'm getting old. I'm getting too old for this, Parker. I tell you what. All right, Mark. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you, sir. Uh, again, oh, Indy Corn Rose is a great place to find uh, everything that he does. Premium hoops. Uh, one of the rising stars in NBA Twitter, very much like our Parker Fleming. Mr. Mark Schindler. Thank you very much, buddy. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. All right. For Mark, for Parker, I'm Joe. Until next time, grind forth, Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live.